It can be somewhat troubling when you're dealing with a verse as ours is today, which seems like just a long list of things. And uh, you might have thought to yourself as we went over this verse earlier this morning, how am I going to memorize this and keep them straight? And I must admit, it's a little bit tricky. And uh, I've given myself little clues and little hints along the way, and that's that's what I would encourage you to do as we, uh, as we try this. Just think about what, what categorization or organization can you do. I, I start with verse 8 with thinking, if, if I can remember that I start with what is true, not with what is right or good, but what is true, things that are true are honorable, and those are both kind of synonyms for being right. And then I can move on into pure, what is right is going to be pure, and then Pure kind of lends itself to lovely in my mind. And then by then, I've only got one last thing there, you know, worthy of good repute. And then any excellence, anything worthy of praise. All of these things we are to dwell on. So let's let's try it. Just see if you can put those words into an order that you can remember. But we'll, we'll start with all the words up there and then we'll just take a few away and a few away. Maybe we can memorize this. Uh, this passage. Let's say this together, shall we? Philippians 4.8 Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Okay, let's try this again. We'll take away a few of them, but not all of them. So, if, if you see a word there, you know it's not one of the ones that goes in a blank, right? Let's try this again. Philippians 4.8 Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Okay, one last time, shall we? Okay, we've left the big word whatever in there. Hopefully that helps. Probably not. (laughs) You're probably wishing, why didn't he just replace whatever every time, right? That would have been easier. All right, but let's try this again. Uh, Remember, true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute. All right, here we go. Let's try this, shall we? Philippians 4.8 Finally, brethren... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Amen. Good job. And uh, that, is our, that is what our focus is on. What should we dwell on? What should we focus our attention on is kind of the the idea I think the word there that is uh, finishing up four eight uh, you know we have finally brethren whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is lovely on and on with any excellence or anything worthy of praise dwell on these things some some have uh, some translations translated as, as think on these things or, or count 
would be an idea. This word to dwell means that we would um, reckon or consider these things. When, when Jesus is hung on the cross and He is uh, reckoned as or counted among the sinful, the wicked, He is considered to be part of them. And that's what this word to dwell means. It has the idea within it that we would think on and focus our attention on something. It's that we would take it to its conclusion in our thoughts even. That we would reason to a logical conclusion on those things that we would dwell on. And what's going on in this verse, what Paul is is telling us uh, by instructing us to, to, to dwell on these things, and, and it's, you know, whatever is. It's a very broad word. It means as many as. As much as. So, as much as there are things that are worth being true, as much as there are things that are honorable, as much as there are things that are right, that are pure, that are lovely, as much as there are things that are of good repute. As broad as the idea is, is the, uh, is the idea. Whatever out there that might be one of these things. If, if, if there be any excellence in it, or anything of good repute, or worthy praise, excuse me, that we are to, to dwell on them, to focus our attention, to think about them, to, 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 to reason regarding them. And the fact that he's instructing us of this lets us know that what we focus on is in our control. What we focus on, what we think about, what we dwell on is within our control. Paul's telling us that, that there are certain things that we should think about, that he would direct us and encourage us to focus on, and it is within our control to do that. That's why he has to encourage us and tell us to do it. And and specifically, what he is telling us to do is good things, right? Uh, It's a list, and I don't want to just go through too much of the words there on the list, but whatever is true, things that are not false, things that are clearly true, whatever is true. Whatever is honorable. The word honorable there means the idea of being dignified or reverend. Something that is worthy of worship or praise. Whatever is worthy of honor, you might say. Whatever is right. The idea being uh, not just correct or the opposite of wrong, but the idea of being right as in being righteous. Something that is uh, innocent or just would would fall into that that word and that idea things that are that are right and righteous when he says whatever is pure the idea is, comes from the idea of, of ceremonial uh, cleanliness that you could go into and worship God you didn't need to offer sacrifice to purify yourself so whatever is uh, pure has the idea of that which allows us and and if if the opposite of it would keep us from God, these are the things that allow us to come before Him, that we don't have any uh, defilement in us or in our thoughts. 
or in the things that we're talking about. That they would be chaste. That they would be innocent and sacred. He says there, and after pure, whatever is lovely, and that's just the idea of something that is pleasing or agreeable. You know, lovely music. It doesn't have a form that we can see it and say, wow, that's really a knockout piece of music. Doesn't it sound, you know, doesn't it look great? No, but we can hear and it is pleasing to us. And say, we say, wow, what a lovely piece of music. That which is pleasing and agreeable. Of course, then there's music that some people like that you think just sounds like nails on chalkboards. And I guess the newer generations need to come up with something else that means a loud screeching noise, right? It doesn't seem so lovely, so pleasing or agreeable to our ears. When he says if there is anything of good repute, whatever is of good repute, that means that it's reported well of. It, it is uh, uh, laudable. You know, something that people have spoken well of, that, that can be spoken well of. You know, I, I would say that there are, are movies that are out that people can say, wow, what a good movie. And then there are other movies that you might find enjoyable and you might even be entertained, but you really don't want to tell anybody you saw them, right? You know, you, you'd feel kind of awkward saying, oh yeah, I went out and saw this movie. You think, oh, maybe I shouldn't have. It's not exactly something of good repute. You don't want to share it too much that you've seen that. And then he says if there's anything or any uh, excellence and if anything, and the idea there is whereas whatever was as great as or as much as or all that can possibly be, the idea behind any or anything is just uh, a certain one or anyone, you know, a specific. Can we find specific instances of something that is excellent. And excellence there means moral goodness or virtue. When Paul's saying to add this to that, and he says, uh, you know, add moral excellence in your life. Virtue. If, if there are stuff that is virtuous, if there are things that have a moral value to them, a moral goodness to them, and finally, if there is anything that's worthy of praise, that it, that it deserves to be acknowledged and, and glorified in a sense. Now, what he's talking about is not specific categories necessarily, but it's, it's kind of a scattershot statement of if there is anything good, anything true, anything right, anything honorable, anything pure, anything lovely, if there's excellence in it, if it's worthy of praising, Dwell on these things. Let your mind be focused on these things. In fact, purposely focus your mind and reason about and talk about and think about and debate about these things. What he is saying is that as we, as we have control on what we can focus on, we need to focus on good things. That's what he's encouraging us to do, that, that our, our hearts and our minds would be focused on Good things, God things, honorable things, righteous things, uh, worthy things. Now, what does it, what does it tell us that we need to focus on good things? I think it tells us that we can readily accept or, or expect that our heart attitude and our general way of going about life is that we wouldn't focus on good things, right? 
As Mark Twain said, when somebody asked him what his first lie was, he said, you'd be better off asking me what my first truth was. Nobody had to teach me to lie. I had to be taught to tell the truth. And isn't this the case with most of us? We have to be taught to tell the truth. Nobody ever had to sit you down and tell you how to lie. Now, some people might have inadvertently told you how to lie by saying, boy, you're a horrible liar. And so you said, ooh, I'm doing something wrong. Let me fix it. And you learned how to be a better liar. But nobody uh, intentionally, hopefully, Lord willing, nobody went and sat you down and said, this is how you lie. This is how you cheat. Now, I, I recognize there are people that have taught others how to do that. This is how you pick a pocket. This is how you, you do this scam. This is how you do that scam. But most people don't need to be taught how to be wicked. Most people, you know, I mean, some people have to be taught how to be more wicked, I guess. But you don't have to be taught how to be a sinful person. You just are. You know how to cheat. You know how to steal. You know how to lie. Nobody had to teach you how to do that. Maybe you had to learn how to do it better, but you didn't have to learn how to do it in the first place. And most of us, we know what it means to tell the truth. But yet we have to have it reinforced. We had to be told and encouraged to tell the truth. And one of the reasons why we're generally told to tell the truth is because we're afraid of the consequences of the truth. And we think, if I can tell this lie, I can get out of that consequence and I will live another day. And we had to be taught, no, say the truth even if it hurts you. Nobody ever had to tell you to tell the truth even though it's going to hurt you, or tell a lie even though it's going to hurt you down the road. No, we automatically do those things. But we need to be reminded and told to focus on good things. Why is that? Why do we have to be uh, told to focus on good things? Well, earlier, and, and you could understand the whole book of Philippians, this whole letter, to be a focus on our thoughts and how we treat one another. And Paul is earlier in Philippians talking about that we should consider others as more important than ourselves, that we could, should uh, consider the example of Christ set before us who did not um, keep Himself elevated but lowered Himself to us so that He might serve us and we should serve one another. And within that context, uh, Paul is encouraging the Philippians in chapter 2. He tells them that he wants them to, to obey and to uh, do things without grumbling or disputing. And his specific reason in verse 15 of chapter 2 is so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. He says the generation around you is crooked and perverse. Uh, to be crooked is the idea, you know, bent back. It's actually the word that we get scoliosis from. To be crooked, to be bent. And to be perverse is to be settled in your bentness, basically. We live in a perverse and crooked generation. I mean, just think about it. if we are being encouraged to focus our minds and our attention on those things that are good, and we are within a uh, perverse and crooked generation. Just think, what does the, the world around us focus on? What does it think about? When, when you go and watch the news, what is the news? Could you say that the news that you regularly consume is true, honorable, right? 
pure, lovely, worthy of praise? Does it have a good repute? Or is it full of fear and anger and hatred? What we see today in in our world, so much of calling one party or the other party, uh, you know, enemies of the state is what we're at now. Where many people in our country are considered to be uh, domestic terrorists. Why? Because they went and firebombed a bunch of buildings? No. Because they beat people up in the streets? No. Because they chase people down in their cars or shoot them? No. No, those people are good citizens. <laughs> no, you're a domestic terrorist if you vote the wrong way. If you speak out the wrong way. And we can focus our hearts and our minds on that, can't we? We can get all worked up and angry with one another. We can get tired of the government. We can get tired of our neighbors. And we can think our neighbors hate us and we hate our neighbors. That's not good. That's not true. That's not right. It's not honorable. It's not lovely thinking. It's not, it's not what honors God. And yet that is what our world is full of. And, and, and Paul here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, he says the, that we are surrounded by a crooked and perverse generation. And his desire for us is that we would be pure and blameless and innocent. That we would show ourselves to be children of God who are above reproach. That we would shine out like light in the world. A world that is crooked and perverse. And all around us, if you think about it, if you think about our, our, our entertainment, if you think about our news, if you think about the, the, the primary movers and shakers of the world, they are not godly. They are not true and honorable. I don't care who your hero is in the political field. They are not honorable. I don't even have to name names. I can just, I can just bet. Maybe one or two will, will slide in there. But the ones who seem to be driving the bus... Not honorable. And yet that is, that is what we give our attention to. And you can get so worked up, so focused on them. And that's not what we're supposed to be focused on. We're supposed to be focused on good things. We are supposed to be focused on God things. And, and we need to recognize that the way of the world is to be wicked. And, and, and that we naturally will gravitate to that. That is why it is so easy for us to slide into it. That is why it's so easy for us to get worked up about the other side. That's why it's so easy for us to get worked up about the news of the day. Because it is wicked and we kind of just slide right into that wickedness. You didn't have to be taught how to be doing the wrong thing. Left to ourselves, if we don't think anybody else is watching, we will more than easily slide into the wrong thing. And, and I'm touching on things that are, that are my difficulties. You know, politics, the news, the way of the world. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, oh, I don't have any straw. I don't even think about those things. Well, great. I guarantee you, you have to work on thinking about right things. 
that you can be just as wicked as anybody else out there. Maybe in different areas that I don't see. Maybe your wickedness is in areas that I don't even touch on. They don't even bother me. It's not even a thought. Well, that's the way it is. But the world and the way of the world is to be wicked. And, and our struggle is, is that it's very easy for us to join in with that. And I would say one of the struggles, that the, one of the, the, the downsides that is happening to the church in America today is how much we are just going along with the way of the world. That we are dwelling on, we are thinking about, we are struggling with the same thoughts as the rest of our society. They, you know, with the, with the advent of the internet, and the internet and technology is a wonderful and great thing, and we get lots of benefits out of it, but we also get lots of ugly things from it. And the fact of the matter is, is now you can do a lot of things in the privacy of your own home. Known only to you and your internet subscriber, and whatever little bots they've attached to try to figure out what you're thinking so they can sell you more stuff. But outside of that, you know, we don't know. And, and so you can watch or you can read or you can consume whatever you want. And the way of the world is wicked. And we see this regularly. Uh, I, I see this in, you know, in the TV shows that are uh, elevated to prime time and what should be watched and the, the subject matter in it. I can remember, and this wasn't that long ago, I can remember when a, a TV show was making you know, great strides because it showed the nut, naked buttocks of a man. Oh, it was just, oh, it had to happen after 9 o'clock. You know, we actually used to think about and worry about, and of course, prior to that, and every single show, what are they trying to do? Are they trying to elevate righteousness? Are they trying to see how they can uh, chip away a little bit more at our wickedness and, and encourage us to be virtuous? Or is our entertainment predominantly focused on how can we chip away at virtue? How can we get rid of virtue? How can we say that is worthless or that is not worth our time? And what, is, what matters? How racy we can make it. How edgy we can make it. How tantalizing we can make it. And that is our culture. That is the way of the world around us. It is to be wicked. And that is our struggle. This is what Paul is saying when he says to them that we need to uh, dwell on these good things. I'm reminded when we talk about a generation and, and, and the, that we live in a crooked and perverse generation. In Genesis uh, chapter 6, we're told that in verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. And that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil con continually. That happened thousands of years ago, but we could easily say that that is the way of man today. That every intent of the thoughts of the heart are evil continually, that the, that the wickedness of man in the world is great on the earth. This is our struggle, that the, the way of the world is wicked and we live in a crooked and perverse generation. And that was a struggle then. But in verse 9, we read this about Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time or blameless in his generation. And what that means is not that he was perfect, 
Not that he would hold up to the standards of what is considered to be blameless in America in 2022, but for his time among the people he lived, he was blameless. We have a a, a thing going on in our world today where people are being judged based not on who they had around them or the way the world thought when they were around, but on what we think now. So what is considered to be morally good today, which happens to be perverse, but that's another thing, is held over those of a different time. And so you can have people and men and women in history who of their time were moral. They were blameless in their walk. They were doing everything they could to live a godly life. And today we look back on them and we judge them and we say they were wicked. We might look at our lives and what we're dealing with today and we might look back on some saints prior to us. You might be thinking back on your dear saintly grandmother or mother or father or a man in the church that you knew who was so upright and so upstanding you think to yourself, I could never do what that person did. I'm just not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not moral enough. I've got this problem, that problem. Well, hold on now. Just because they were good in their age doesn't mean that they would be any different than you are today. You know, earlier generations did not have the world wide web in their pocket. Earlier generations were not beset with as much advertising, with as much uh, of the different kinds of crazy foods and sugars that we have, all the things that cause us struggles. The rest of the world and the generations past did not have these same things. And so to look at our lives today, I mean, just, just let's go back just a few years. How long has it been since we've been using screens? It hasn't really been that long. Just going back to my, when I first started here, when I first started here for the majority of my service here, we haven't been on the Internet. That wasn't even a consideration in our minds, though other churches were. To look at ourselves and say, oh, this is, you know, I just can never be what the world used to be. Well, the world used to be a different place. It was still wicked and it still struggled with wickedness and we were still called to focus our hearts and our minds on good things. But let us at least consider our job is not to be righteous in the 50s. Unless you were alive then and that time it was. But now our job is to be righteous in 2022. And next year it will be our job to be righteous in 2023. Not based on 1980. Not based on 1930. Those times had their own issues, their own struggles. And if we look back, you know, we can look back and we can say, wow, it was so wonderful, it was so pristine in the, 90s, or in the 50s. And yet, stop and remember, what was the world like in the 50s? We had segregation, we had Jim Crow laws, we had lynchings and burnings, we had bombs. Maybe you had it good, but I'm sure we can find some people that did not have it good in the 50s. And there was righteousness at that time. And people were morally right then who today would repent for their righteousness back then. Our job is to be righteous today. To deal with the struggles that we have in our lives today. Not wishing, and trust me, I I can easily wish for a different year and a different time. But our focus is to be righteous today. And how can we do that? Well, what does it say Noah did? Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless in his time. 
Noah walked with God. And I, I, I would say, I would interpret that as because Noah walked with God. Noah was a righteous man. Noah was blameless in his time. Not because he was just inherently righteous, not because he did everything right, but because Noah and his ancestors before him. See, as you go through Genesis, you read the story, the, 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 the trail from Adam through Seth to Noah. And they are the trail of people who follow and worship the living God and teach their children about the living God. And so you have a man named Noah who shows up and he is righteous and blameless because he walked with God. And that's what Paul is encouraging his uh, audience in Philippi to do. When he's talking about put on the same mindset that was with Christ. What is he saying? Live like Christ. Use Christ as your example. Follow Him. We're disciples. And disciples means to follow, which means to walk behind. And that's what he's encouraging us to do is we would focus and, and take uh, captive our thoughts that we would dwell on and wrestle with and consider the things that are good and pure, that means focusing our attention not on the things that the world wants us to focus on. And that means encouraging ourselves to not dwell on and look at those things, but instead that we would focus on and look at the things of God. And and the way we do that is by looking and focusing on God. Just as Noah walked with God, the answer for us, how do we focus our attention on these good things? How do we not go the way of the wicked world? The answer is to walk with God. And that's what Paul is saying here. Throughout Philippians, he is encouraging his, his followers, his, his audience there that he is writing, that they would walk with God. How, how can I keep my thoughts pure? How can I keep my focus on Him? How can I fight against uh, the wickedness of the world around me to dwell and to keep my thoughts on Him and on good things and things that are honorable? That I would wonder about how do we live in a right way? You know, Paul, after this, Paul moves into talking about how God provides for him, how, how God has provided to him through the Philippian church, but that he says, you know, whether I have food or not, whether I'm warm or cold, whether I'm dry or, or wet, I've learned how to uh, get by. And he said in verse 13, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. And then a little bit later, he, he blesses the, the, the Philippians and he says, My God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And Paul is talking about material provision, but I think that applies to spiritual as well. How do we keep our focus? How do we dwell on those things that are true and honorable and right in a, in a world that focuses on lies and things that are dishonorable and things that are not righteous? Well, by focusing on God, by walking with Him and trusting in Him that He will help us that He will enable us, that He will strengthen us and supply all of His riches and glory, that He will help us keep our, our minds pure, that He will help us focus on those things that are good. 
It is a, a difficult thing to walk in the world today. I don't know that it's even any harder or any simpler. I know it's different than in the past. And I, you might look to the future and you might even look to the present and, and worry about your children or your grandchildren. We never could have imagined 30 years ago where we would be today. And so I, I, I believe that we probably can't imagine where the world will be in 30 years. What kind of things will, will grip the world and hold it enthralled? I know that I expect that the younger generation up, good Christians coming up, will probably hold things in a different view than I do. Just as I have struggled at times because elderly people in my life hold things in a different view than I do. Our point is not for them to be righteous as we are today, but that they might learn how to be righteous in their time and walk with God. As we go about the business of making disciples, it's not just about uh, bringing them in and, and having them place their faith in Jesus. It's about focusing our minds, dwelling on, wrestling with, considering to a logical conclusion, those things that glorify God. That's what Paul's getting at. And my hope for us is, is as we apply this passage, this verse into our hearts and our minds as we would memorize it, that at times we would be able to recall it as we struggle with something, as we, as we think about what am I going to do with my evening? Oh, will I spend it doing something that is true and honorable and right? Will I focus on things that are pure and lovely and of good repute? Is there any excellence in what I am doing? Is there anything worthy of praise about this thing that I am spending my time on? You know, maybe we'll use it just as a way of reminding ourselves. Maybe when you're watching the news and you're getting all worked up and you're getting angry or you're getting excited or you're getting fearful, and you can just stop yourself and say, wait a minute, is there anything good in this? Is there any truth? Is there anything honorable here? Is it righteous? Is there any excellence, anything worthy of praise in what I'm watching? Maybe, maybe I need to give it a break. That's my hope that we'll be able to recall these, these ideas that this is what He would have us consider and reason about. But let's say this one last time, shall we, together? It's Philippians 4.8 Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. It's my prayer that we would dwell on these things. I know it's a struggle. In this world, it is quite the struggle. Let's walk with God as we go through it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we need Your help. Every day and hour by hour, we need You. We need Your guidance in our lives. We need Your forgiveness. We need Your Spirit, Lord, 
Most importantly, we need to be yielded to Your Spirit. To trust in You. To walk in Your ways. To, to value those things that You value, not that the world values. Lord, we pray that You would help us to dwell on things that are right and good and honorable. That we would dwell on those things that are lovely and, and that You would be pleased to see us spend our time. Lord, we pray that we would seek those things that are excellent and that You would guide us and help us to stay away from the paths of unrighteousness, the wickedness of the world around us. Lord, may we be light. And we recognize we can't be light if we're just as dark as everyone around us, as the hearts around us, as the the way of living around us. Lord, may we shine out in Your your righteousness. We pray that You would teach us. That You would show us this week those things that we do that are not worthy of Your name and Your time. If we spend a lot of time worrying about things or focused on things that are negative, Lord, we pray that You would help us to break that addiction to those things. A lot of times we, we need it. We feed off of it. Lord, help us to learn new appetites that we would enjoy the good things that You provide us. We ask and pray this today, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite